You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians, the second chapter. We're going to read together verses 11 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. We're continuing in our study verse by verse through the book of Ephesians on Sunday mornings, and we're going to finish up the second chapter this morning, a difficult passage of Scripture to say the least, uh, but one in which there There is a tremendous message for us as God's people. I'm going to preach this morning about the fact that Jesus makes the difference. Jesus makes the difference. Verses 11 through 22. Paul is speaking and he says, Therefore, remember that formerly you the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of, of promise having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself... He might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father." So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Jesus makes a difference. I could probably this morning, in fact, I know I could, I could call on any number of you to come up this morning and give testimony. Believe me, I'm not going to do that, okay? Some of you immediately, you just put your heads down. I will not do that. I'm not going to do it. But I could call upon any number of you this morning to come and to stand in this place and give testimony about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. You would probably begin by speaking about what your life was before you knew Jesus as Savior and as Lord. And then you would begin to talk about what your life has been since that. And I'm sure that as you gave your testimony, many of us here would begin to get the feel and would get the sense and would hear it in the tone of your voice that in your estimation, life did not really begin until you came to know Jesus as Lord and as Master. Now, I know that many of you there have probably heard individuals give testimonies like that about what their life was before Christ, what their life has been since Jesus Christ, and of the drastic difference that has been made in their life because of Jesus and you've asked yourself this question over and over again is it really true is that really the truth 
Can that really and truly happen? Can that happen to me? Can this longing, this emptiness that I feel within, can that really and truly be changed? Can it be filled with Jesus Christ? I want to say to you this morning, folks, it's true. Jesus really does make a difference. That's what I want to share with you this morning because you see, that's what Paul is sharing with these Ephesian Christians in the city of Ephesus. He is saying to them, Jesus really does, really can make a difference in your life. In the first part of the, the second chapter of, uh, of Ephesians, we dealt with the same thing. It was that what we were before Christ in the first three or four verses, and then what we have been because of Christ or what we have been since Christ. You remember last week as we studied that, Paul said in the first three verses of the second chapter there that without Christ, we were dead. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were deceived and we were depraved. And then he said, but, but God, boy, it's such a great two words to there. But God raised us up in Christ Jesus and seated us in heavenly places. In other words, God made a difference. Jesus has made a difference in our lives. Now when we come to verses 11 through 22, Paul is again rehearsing that theme. That sounded like a Texan, didn't it? Again? <laughs> again, Paul <laughs> is rehearsing that theme that Jesus really and truly does and can make a difference. He does it this time, though, in a completely different context, he does it in a new context. What Paul seems to be doing in writing this second chapter is he is wanting these Ephesian Christians to kind of go back. He's saying, go back, go back, go back, and remember what life was like before Jesus. Remember the condition in which you existed before you came to know Jesus. He wants them to go back and, and, and remember that in order that they might gain an appreciation for who they are and what they have in Jesus Christ. You know, I sincerely doubt that you're ever really going to enjoy being born again, that you're ever really going to get the fullest uh, understanding and appreciation of what it means to be a child of God unless you once, first of all, go back and remember and rehearse what life was like before you met Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. And that's kind of where Paul is in this second chapter, wanting them to go back and to remember so that they'll fully appreciate the difference that Jesus has made in their life. Now, the context of this passage of Scripture is a difficult one. I said that at the beginning. It was difficult for me in my study to be able to communicate the truth of this and apply it to us some 2,000 years ago. It is a difficult context to understand, but this is it. Let me give it to you in a short synopsis. The context in which Paul speaks these words in verses 11 through 22 is the continuing conflict between Jews and between Gentiles. Man, there was an incredible animosity in that day and time between the Jews, the Israelite people of God, and those who were Gentiles. The word Gentile <coughs> simply means nations. So in a Jew's eye, there are only two kinds of people. You were either Jew or you were a Gentile. You were either one of God's chosen people or you were not. And if you were not a Jew, then that meant you were of the nations. That meant you were a Gentile. And these Gentile Christians were looked upon with tremendous, tremendous animosity by the Jews. And Paul is speaking to them and saying, go back, you Gentile Christians who are not Jews, who did not have the promises of God, who were not part of the covenants of God, go back and remember what it was like before Jesus came into your life. Remember the difference that Jesus can make in your life. So as we study this, I want to do it in a very simple outline. First of all, I want us to notice what we were before Christ, what we have in Christ, and what we are because of Christ. First of all, Notice Paul says what we were before Christ, verses 11 and verse 12. 
He speaks in verse 11 about the, uh, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, those who, who call themselves the circumcision as they speak and as they refer to those who are the uncircumcised. He's talking about the fact that before Jesus Christ, you Gentiles were outsiders. That's a, not a good word, is it? You don't like that word. You don't like the idea of being an outsider. That word kind of carries all kinds of, of terrible connotations of being rejected, of being not one of the inner circle, if you will. Uh, and Paul is saying to these Gentiles, before Jesus came into the world, you were in fact outsiders. He mentions this, these, these that are called themselves the, uh, the circumcision and the fact that they refer to the Gentiles as the uncircumcision. Now, the thing that he's referring there, folks, is the Jewish rite of circumcision. It was the distinguishing mark of the Jew. God had instituted that rite. He had done it through Abraham. And the Jews were the ones who were called the circumcision. They were the ones who had the mark of God upon their lives. It was the distinguishing mark that set them apart from all of the other nations around them. Because of that, the Jews looked upon the uncircumcised Gentiles with, in, with incredible animosity, with an unbelievable sense of contempt as they looked upon them as outsiders. They were not part of the inner circle, if you will. As a matter of fact, the Jews' attitude toward the Gentile in that day and time, was that the Gentiles had been created simply to fuel the fires of hell. <laughs> God just needed some kindling wood for the fires of hell, and that's why the Gentiles were created. That's the way the Jews viewed them. As a matter of fact, it was not lawful in that day and time for a Jew to help a Gentile woman in her hour of childbirth. It was not lawful for him to help her in that hour of childbirth because that simply meant one more lousy Gentile that was going to be born into the world. And so an Orthodox Jew would not even help a Gentile woman in her hour, hour of childbirth. There was this tremendous sense of animosity. The Gentiles were on the outside and the Jews were on the inside. Now, obviously, that was never God's intention. That was not the attitude that God ever intended for his people to take. God had called the Jews in order that they might be a channel of blessing through which he would bless all of the nations. But you see, the Jews got it all messed up. They got the wrong attitude. They began to have this exclusive kind of attitude. But regardless of that, this is important, regardless of how they blew it, regardless of their wrong attitude, they still were the chosen people of God. And all the Gentile nations still stood on the outside of that. Now, Paul mentions some things that were results of the fact that these Gentiles were, in fact, outsiders. First of all, because they were outsiders, Paul reminds them that they were hindered from knowing God. Because they were outsiders from the Jews, they were the uncircumcised nations, the Gentiles, they were hindered from having the opportunity of knowing God. Verse 12, Paul says, Remember that you were at that time separate for that time before, before Christ, that you are at that time separate from Christ. Now, what does he mean, separate from Christ? How could they have possibly been in Christ? Jesus had not even been born at that time, before that time. How in the world could they be separate Christ from Christ? How could the Jews be in Christ? This is what Paul is talking about. He's saying that because you were not of the inner circle, because you were not of the Jews, but you were of the, of the nations before Jesus, you were outsiders, you were hindered from knowing God because at least, at least the Jews had the promise of a Messiah. At least they had the hope of the coming of the Messiah. At least the Jews looked toward the coming of the Savior of the world. They had that promise, but Paul is saying, listen, folks, you didn't even have that. 
You were outsiders. You were hindered from knowing God. You did not even have the promise of the coming of the Messiah. Therefore, you were without Christ. You were separate from Jesus. And Paul seems to be saying to them, remember, remember, remember that before Jesus, you were outside and you could not come to know God. Think of what that would be like. Think of what that would be like. What a terrible position that would be to be separate from Jesus, to be without Christ. No forgiveness, no reconciliation, no redemption. How meaningless life would be. Remember that before Christ, you were hindered from knowing God. Not only were they hindered from knowing God, but Paul goes on and he says they were homeless apart from God. They were homeless apart from God before Jesus came into their life. Notice what he says in verse 12, continuing. Not only were they separate from Christ, but then he goes on and he says, but they were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. He says that you were excluded from the commonwealth, that you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Now, what does he mean by that? This is it. As the Jews being God's chosen people, God had made some tremendous promises to them. He had made some tremendous promises to Israel. He had called Abraham. He had made a covenant with Abraham. And from that covenant with Abraham that God had made, then the Israelite nation had been born. The Jewish nation had been born as God's chosen people. Sure, they blew it. Okay? Israel blew it. The Jews blew it. They became a religious country club. They forgot the purpose for which God had called them to be the channel of blessing to all of the nations. They refused, in fact, to be that channel, but they were still the people of God. That's important. They were still the people of God. They were still, in other words, the recipients of God's promises. They were still the special people of God. They had still been called into that special relationship with the living God. They had a special family kind of relationship that still exists even to this day. But the Gentiles, the nations, were outside of that. They were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and they were strangers to the promises of the covenants of God. In other words, before Jesus, they had no promises. The Gentiles were outsiders. They had no covenants. They had no family of faith in which to be a part, of which they were called into. They were excluded. They were strangers, like a person without a country, like a person without a home. Apart from Jesus, without Jesus, they were without a home. Many of you probably read the book in high school entitled A Man Without a Country. If you remember the theme and the thesis of that book, it was a man who had been treasonous to his country, had been convicted of that treason, and he was set adrift in a boat off of the coast of his home country, was put in that boat and was set adrift never to be admitted to citizenship again in his home country. He was condemned, in other words, to a life of drifting. No home, no harbor, no place to hang his hat, if you will, excluded an outsider. That's what Paul is saying, that we are without Jesus. That's what Paul is saying the Gentiles were before Jesus. They were excluded. They were without a home. No covenants, no promises, no purpose without Jesus. You know, that's what's so neat to me when somebody comes to know the Lord as Savior. When someone who has been excluded, who's been separate, who's been an outsider from Christ, who's never known the Lord, has never known the forgiveness of Jesus, when they come gloriously and get saved, 
the thing that is so neat about that is that that person finds a family. No longer homeless, no longer left to drift out into the world, but finds a family of faith, a covenant of promise. It is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church. You know, that's one evidence of whether you really know the Lord as Savior. Have you found a home in the church? You know, this, the church is not the building. The church is the people. The church is the body of Christ in whom Jesus dwells. And the scripture says that we are the body of Jesus and he is the head. And that when we come to know Jesus, he adds us to that family of faith. No longer homeless. You've got a home in Jesus. Are you comfortable with the people of God? That's an evidence of salvation. Do you love being with the people of God? Do you love worshiping the Lord Jesus with the people of God, his home? Well... Without Jesus, remember, you were hindered from knowing God, could not know God without Jesus. You were homeless apart from God, drifting aimlessly. And third, he says, you were hopeless without God. Hindered from knowing God, homeless apart from God, and hopeless without him. Notice what he says in verse 12. Not only were you strangers to the covenants of promise, but you were having no hope. Ah, oh, man, no hope without God in the world. Paul says, remember Gentiles, remember Ephesian Christians that before Jesus, you had no hope. Goodness gracious, think about that, what it would be like to have no hope, to be hopeless. You can't live without hope. But that's what Paul says we all were without Jesus. Speaking particularly to the Gentiles as they were outsiders, no hope, no Messiah, no promise, no covenant, no home, no hope. Dr. Viktor Frankl, an eminent author and, and, uh, and doctor, wrote a book entitled Man's Search for Meaning. Dr. Frankl was a prisoner in one of the Nazi concentration camps in World War II, and the book No Hope, No Man's Search for Meaning comes out of his experience in the Nazi war camps. And he says that when he went into the camp, he began to notice that the size and the stature of an individual when they came into the, the concentration camp seemed to have no bearing upon those who survived and those who did not. He said a, a man would come in that would be a, a, a big, healthy-looking, strapping, muscular-looking guy, and he would look at that man and say, surely that man is going to make it. Many will not. Many died. Hundreds, thousands, millions died in those camps. But surely that man is going to make it. And then he said he would watch that man go down and eventually die. And then another little scrawny little runt, kind of like Bob, <laughs> would come into the, the concentration camp. And Dr. Frankel would say, surely that man is not going to make it a week or two weeks. And oftentimes he says it was that very individual that was looked upon as not having the physical stature and ability to survive that would, at the end of it all were the living ones. And he said, I, because that was so curious to me, he said, I began to study it very closely. And he says, I discovered something. I discovered that regardless of a man's stature, regardless of a man's seeming health when he came into the concentration camp, the only ones that survived were those that never lost hope. When a man gave up hope, Dr. Frankel says, he was soon for the burial ground. It was those that never lost hope, that held on to hope, that, that made it and lived through the concentration camp. That's what Paul is saying here. Listen, before Jesus, there was no hope without God in the world. No hope. But listen, 
In Jesus Christ, there is hope. Hope of purpose, hope of meaning, hope of everlasting life. Jesus makes the difference. Amen? But apart from him, what were we? We were hindered from knowing God, separate from Christ, without Christ, could not know him, had no promise of his coming. Not only that, we were homeless, excluded from the commonwealth, strangers to the covenants of promise. Not only that, we were hopeless without God, without hope in the world, without God. Well, that's the bad stuff. Oh, but the good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. Paul always does that. He begins with the bad stuff and goes with the good stuff. He says, I got some bad news and some good news. And he gives the bad news first and then he gives the good news. And that's what he does here. He's calling these Gentile Christians to go back and remember who you were. Remember your condition apart from Christ, that you might appreciate your position in Christ now. And so the next part that we need to look at is what we have in Jesus. What we were in Jesus, but what we have in Jesus. Verse 13, two words, but now. <laughs> but now. You were without Christ. You were homeless. You were hopeless. You were hindered from knowing God. But then Paul says, but now. <laughs> it's like he said over in verse uh, Verse 4 of the first chapter, he's talked about the fact they were dead, they were deceived, they were depraved. And then he says in verse 4, but God, but God did something. But now in Christ Jesus, what do we have? Tremendous words. In fact, they're the answer to the problem that he just laid out. That's the answer to the homelessness, the hopelessness, the hinderedness from knowing God. The answer is in, but now God has done something. What has God done? He's given us fellowship with him first of all he's given us fellowship with him look in verse 13 he says but now in christ jesus you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of christ we've been brought near by the blood of christ now that phrase brought near is a term that any jew would have been familiar with when a gentile would submit to circumcision and would submit himself to the jewish law he would become what they called a proselyte jew not a blood jew but a proselyte Jew. And the rabbis would refer to that proselyte Jew who was a Gentile, they would refer to him as having been brought near. Josephus, the Jewish historian, speaks about the proselyte Jews as being those who are brought near. Now we say when somebody accepts Christ as Savior, what do we say about them? We say they've been saved, right? Well, the Jewish rabbi would say, folks, I want to introduce you. Let me introduce you to brother so-and-so. Today, he has been brought near. And the point is that he has been brought into relationship. He has been brought into fellowship with God. Now, Paul's point is very clear. Before Jesus, you were hopeless. You were homeless. You were hindered from knowing God. But now... You have been brought near. You have been brought into a relationship, into fellowship with God. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, but by the blood of Jesus, we have now been brought into fellowship with God. It's the same thing that Paul talks about in verse 18. We're going to study verse 18 alone by itself next week. It's such a tremendous verse, but I want you to look at it for just a second. He says, for through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. That word access is an important word in the original language. It literally means an introducer. It means an introducer, someone to introduce us to someone else, someone to introduce us, if you will, to the king. Paul is saying we have fellowship with God. We have been brought near. Now we have an introducer, someone to take us and personally introduce us to God the Father, to the king. We have fellowship with God, but not only that. We have fellowship with one another, and this is where we're going to 
camp for just a moment. We have fellowship with God. We've been brought near, but we also have fellowship with one another. Verses 14 and 15. In verse 14, Paul mentions the fact, now look at this, the very last words, that the barrier of the dividing wall has been broken down. The barrier of the dividing wall has been broken down. Now what Paul is talking about, he's using temple terminology. If you're familiar with the temple in Jerusalem, which was the, the, the temple of the Jews, their great place of worship, the way that it was constructed was a very uh, well thought out and well planned style of construction. It consisted of various courts that went around the temple. The outer court was the first court on the very exterior of the temple. It was the court of the Gentiles. And that was the place that Gentiles could go. That was as far into the temple as a Gentile could go. The next court was the court of the women. <laughs> they were a little better off than the Gentiles, not a whole lot, but they could go at least into the second court. The Gentiles were on the exterior. The women were the next court. As a matter of fact, every Orthodox Jewish man got up every morning and thanked God for three things. I can remember two of them. I cannot remember the third one. First of all, he thanked God that he was not a Gentile. Second of all, he thanked God that he was not a woman. And the third thing he thanked God, I think, was that he was not a sinner. I can't remember. What was the third thing? Anybody remember that? Josephus talks about it once again, the Jewish historian. He thanked God that he wasn't a Gentile, that he wasn't a woman, and there's one other thing there. So the women were a little bit better off than the Gentiles. Gentiles go in the outer court. The women had the second court. That's as far as they could go into the temple. The third court was the court of the Jews, which meant Jewish men. Okay? They could go into the third area of the, of the temple. And then the next court next to that was the court of the priest, where only the priest could go. And then the last court was the very inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go only one day of year on the Day of Atonement. And this was the way the, the, the temple was constructed. Now, as I said, the Gentiles could only go on the outer court. But it's interesting that around that outer court, there was a wall. It was a dividing wall. It was there to separate the Gentiles from the rest of the people in the temple so that the rest of the Jews would not be contaminated by these Gentiles, even if they were proselyte Gentiles, even if they had become a Jew by circumcision and by keeping the law, still they could only stay in the outer court of the temple. And they had this great dividing wall. Archaeologists have dug up part of that wall in the temple and found an inscription on that wall that once again Josephus and other Jewish historians had already written about, and it said this. It said, Beyond this point, a Gentile may not go upon penalty of death. In other words, if you're tired of living, take a step into the court of the women or into the court of the Jews or into the court of the priest. And if you're really tired of living, then try to get into the Holy of Holies. In other words, a Gentile was separated from the rest of people. There was this wall of separation that was there to separate Jew from Gentile, to separate man from man. But Paul says, Jesus broke down the dividing wall. He broke down the barrier. The barrier no longer exists. There is no longer Jew. There is no longer Gentile. We are all one in Jesus Christ. He says, man, I get excited about that. In God's eyes, in other words, there is not one that is favored over another. The Jew is not favored over the Gentile. There is not slave. There is not free. There is not man. There is not woman. The barriers have been broken down between man and between man. There are no walls. There are no partitions. Jesus has brought us all near to God in order that we might be near to another one. In other words, when Jesus came, 
He tore down all the fences. He just tore down all the fences. And has opened the way, not only to a right relationship with God, but he has opened the way that man might have fellowship with man, that there be no more dividing barriers. Verse 15, he says that we have, he has been made, made Jew and Gentile both into one new man. There's some interesting things about that. We don't have time to deal with it. But he has made us one. Verse 17, he says he came and he preached peace in order that the war might be ended. What war is he talking about? He's talking about the war that's between man and God. You see, before Jesus, we were at war with God. We were at enmity with God. He's talking about the war between man and man, the war that some of you are fighting even today. Some of you are fighting a war with God. You're at war with God. You're mad at God for some reason. Maybe something has happened in your life and you've blamed God. Not only maybe you're at war with God, but you're at war with someone else. You harbor bitterness. You harbor resentment. You harbor hatred. And when you put your head on the pillow at night, it's there. When you rise up in the morning, it's there. As you go through your day, it monopolizes your life. You are at war. Paul says that Jesus broke down the wall. Jesus tore all of the fences and came and preached peace that we might have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. I heard the most incredible story I've ever heard in my life this past week. Most unbelievable story I've ever heard. But I am told that it is as true as true can possibly be. Let me share it with you. In World War II, there was a very committed Christian family. Their son was in the, in the war in the Japanese islands. He was killed from the bullet of a young Japanese soldier. When that young Japanese pulled the trigger and killed their son in the Japanese islands, he was immediately captured. They took him into captivity. The war ended. And through an incredible series of events, that Christian American family were introduced to that young Japanese soldier fighting in behalf of his country who had killed their son, whom they loved very much. They found out that this young Japanese who had killed their son was desirous of coming to the United States to study, to better himself. And this American family paid his way to bring him from Japan, paid his way through school, supported him while he was here, and even brought him into their family as one of their own. You say, what a story of love. What an incredible story of love. I want to tell you an even more incredible story than that one. It's the story of God who sent his son Jesus into the world on an incredible mission of peace, an incredible mission of peace. But what did we do? We beat him, we mocked him, we spat upon him, we put a crown of thorns on his head, we nailed him to a cross, yet God said, I love you. And he said, I want to bring you into my family. Jesus broke down the walls between man and God and between man and man, and opened the way to a right relationship. That's what we have in Jesus. The war has ended. Jesus really makes the difference. And I close with this. What we were in Jesus, we were hindered from knowing God. We were hopeless apart from God. We were homeless without God. What we have in Jesus, we have fellowship with God and with one another. He came, he broke the walls down, he preached peace in order that we might have fellowship with one another. And now what are we in Jesus? I'll not read them, but verses 19 through 22, he tells it. He says, now 
we are no longer strangers, but we are now fellow citizens with the saints. We are members of God's household, he says, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone of this building that God is building. And then he says, and in him, the cornerstone, Jesus, this building, which we are, the household of God, is being fitted together. And God has brought us into his family. Now listen to this. God is daily building his house. <laughs> God is in the construction business, in other words. He is daily building this house, this building that is being fitted together that has Jesus as the cornerstone. And every time somebody comes to know Jesus as Savior and as Lord, God adds another brick. <laughs> he just adds another brick to his household. He adds a brick here. He adds a brick there and a brick here. And he's building the house. Listen, the scripture says, someday the household of God is going to be finished. The trumpet of Jesus is going to sound and God is going to come and receive his household unto himself. He's broken down the barrier. What are we in Jesus? We are members of the household of God. Yes, we spat upon Jesus. We mocked him. We put a crown of thorns on his head. We nailed him to the cross. But God said, I love you. And he has added us unto his household, unto his family. Brick by brick by brick by brick, that house is being built until the day that it's completed and Jesus comes again. If it happened this instant, if it happened this moment, are you a brick that's been added to the household of God? Are you a part of the family of God? Are you in Jesus Christ? Jesus makes the difference. He's provided the way that we might be brought into the family, into the household of God. Let's pray together. Thank you this morning, Father, that we have the promise of who we are and what we have in you. Lord, help us to remember to go back, to go back to before who we were, strangers, separated, homeless, hopeless, having no way of knowing you. Oh, but then you took the initiative. You sent Jesus. You called us unto yourself. Because of that, we are of your household. We are being fitted together brick by brick into that household. Lord, I pray this morning as someone who does not know Jesus as Lord and Master would come to know him as Savior this morning, would be added into the household of God, would be saved, would be born again. Lord, you do your will, your purpose, and your people, and those that are here today, we commit it to you. It's your time. In Jesus' name, amen.